We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 24 today. Deuteronomy chapter 24. And, uh, and, and it's a principle that, that's been on my heart and I just couldn't get away from it this morning. So uh, I'd like to bring this to you. It's obviously not about the Great Commission because it's the Old Testament. It's from the Lord to the nation of Israel. But it does give us a glimpse into the heart of God for people. And I think that's, a, that's maybe a, something that's missed in missions sometimes is that, uh, that missions begins when we start to see people like God sees people. If you think about it, that's really the baseline for missions because the greater, the, the more our heart is like God's heart for people, the greater our, our burden for missions is going to be. So I'd like to take a look here at Deuteronomy chapter 24. And if you can, if you wouldn't mind standing out of honor of the reading of the scripture this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 24. And we'll begin reading in verse 14 and read down through the end of the chapter. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14 and the Bible says, Thou shalt not oppress an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren or of thy strangers that are in thy land within thy gates. At his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it. For he is poor and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for, their fa for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. Thou shalt not pervert the judgment of the stranger, nor of the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment to pledge. And this is one of the key verses. But thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt. And the Lord thy God redeemed thee thence. Therefore I command thee to do this thing. When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. When thou beatest thine olive tree and thou... Thou shalt not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the, the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And here's another key verse. This phrase shows up again. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command thee to do this thing. See, our heart for people will deepen the more that we take time to remember where we came from. Do you remember where you used to be before Jesus Christ? Do you remember the misery of bondage? Do you remember the burden of sin on your life? Do you remember how tough it was? And maybe you got saved as a child, but plenty in here probably got saved older and you remember what it was like. And listen, I'm telling you, I believe that the most, maybe the most important principle for, for us to retain our heart for missions is just to remember where we came from. If you want a heart for missions, remember what you were. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help our time together. God, we pray that you bless the reading of your word. Pray that you'd help me to convey it. And I pray that you'd help us to have open minds and hearts. 
And Father, we pray that you would help us to remember so that we can move forward with the kind of heart that you have for people. We love you and we need you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As, as has already been mentioned, uh, my, my, my big sister, Rochelle, is here on staff, Rochelle Martirosian, her and John and, and the family. And, and we, we had a pretty typical childhood. I was a, I was a pretty laid back child. And uh, my sister's 14 months older than me. And, and if I was laid back, then Rochelle would have been, um, uh, she showed leadership qualities early. <laughs> will say. I remember, I mean, I remember this as a kid. I, we would play and she would choose what we played. I was just kind of like along for the ride, you know. And when we were little, um, my, uh, the, one of the big TV series, television series that, that was big in our house was, was Little House on the Prairie. I mean, I had no idea I would be living it someday, but you know. <laughs> Little House on the Prairie was kind of our thing. We would watch it. And, there, and you know how it works with kids. When, when kids watch something like that, or that's a part of your, your family activity, you play those things. And so, um, you know, my, my sister and I, we would play Little House on the Prairie. The only problem with Little House on the Prairie is there, the two main characters are Mary and Laura. You're seeing where this is going now, right? And my sister, because she was older, she got to be Mary. And I, because I was younger and she was in charge of what we played, I got to be Laura. <laughs> so my mom came in one day and, and my, my sister had dressed me up <laughs> like Laura. I mean, that's the childhood I had to endure, by the way. So, you know, I, you know there are some things in life. I just wanted to tell a story about my sister. You know, there are some things in life you wish you could forget. And that may be one of those. There are also some things in life that you better not forget. I, I mean, you better not forget to put oil in your car. Man, you better not forget your anniversary. Uh, you better not forget to pay your bills. Some things you better not forget. And you know, spiritually speaking, the same thing is true. There are some things that maybe you wish you could forget. And for those of you maybe that were saved later in life and you went through some things before Christ reached you, there may be part of your past you wish you could forget. And there are parts, I mean, even as somebody who was saved as a child, there are things that I wish that I could forget. But there are some things that we, we better remember, spiritually speaking, as well. And, and see, remembrance matters to God. Remembrance is important to God. And, and he often had the children of Israel, I mean, think about the stories of the Old Testament. When they would come out, um, uh, they would have a victory or, or a landmark event. What would he have them do? He would have them stack up stones as a memorial. And the reason for that was so they would remember that it was God that did what he did right there at that point. You know, here I raise mine Ebenezer. Uh, the, the Lord has helped us. And every time we walk by this pile of rocks, 
rocks, uh, we remember what God has done. Uh, and it, it happens in the New Testament as well. Remember this do in remembrance of me. There are things spiritually speaking that we need to remember. It's good for us to remember because in many ways it calibrates and tethers us to the things that matter the most. We ought to remember some things. And you know, much about the book of Deuteronomy, if you look up the word remember and how many times it shows up in the books of the Bible, Deuteronomy's got more than all the, uh, all the especially the, the books of the law, um, except maybe the book of Psalms and the book of Isaiah. Deuteronomy, remember, 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 remember. Because God had just brought the children, not just, but God had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And for 40 years, they'd been wandering in the desert. And, and God was about to take them into the promised land. But before he took them into the promised land, he says, I want you to remember. I want you to remember where you came from. Before you go and take the land, you need to remember where you've come from. Deuteronomy 24 is written uh, as to ma he's written to masters and written to judges and written to the rich. This message was for people of means. And, and so just to give context to the chapter today, uh, he gives a command to masters in verse 14. He says, thou shalt not oppress an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren or of thy strangers that are in thy land within thy gates at his day shalt thou shalt give him his higher, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be a sin unto thee. And so the first challenge that he gives is to those that would have uh, either, either servants or, 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 a or an employer and employee relationship. And he says, make sure that you treat those that work for you well, because they're, 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 they're going to be depending on the salary that you're paying them. And that day, the culture would have been that you would work for a day and at the end of the day, you would get paid for your work. And most of those that were getting paid for their work were depending on their salary to take and immediately go buy food and feed their family often that very night. So if a master was oppressing his servant, he could withhold those wages and that servant had his heart set on it. His family maybe is sitting at home with growling stomachs and, and God was saying, you don't oppress the servant, uh, don't withhold his payment. He has his heart set on that. And if you oppress him, then you'll be guilty of sin, the Bible says. Then he gives a challenge or a command to judges in verse 16. He says, the fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin, teaching personal responsibility for your own actions, which by the way, we could use a dose of that in the United States of America personal responsibility for your actions. Look at verse 17. Again to the judges, he says, Thou shalt not pervert the judgment of the stranger, nor of the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment to pledge. He says, so in legal cases, it was up to the judge then not to allow someone who had no means to have an unfair advantage if they were facing a trial against somebody that had plenty of means. 
So people would come in and there's a case that a judge was hearing and somebody without money would have an unfair advantage and, uh, and they, would, they would not have the witnesses or they would not have the evidence. And, and God is telling the children of Israel, the judges, to be careful uh, to treat everyone equally, not, not to give those with means an, an improper or unfair advantage. Then he goes and he gives a command to the wealthy in verse 19. He says, when thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. So then he, this command to those that had great wealth or had, had fields and, and grain, he is saying then, be kind and charitable to the poor according to the laws of gleaning in Leviticus 19 and other other places. So these laws were in place then to give those that were the foreigners, the, the poor, the widows, the orphans, it would give them an opportunity to come in and gather food since they wouldn't have the means and they wouldn't have the money. And, you know, in certain crops and produce, maybe it would be either unripe or maybe during the first harvest, they would miss certain areas of the field. And, and God was telling them, if that happened, you have plenty. So leave it for those that don't have plenty so that they can come in. The less fortunate then can come in and they could find food and they could survive. The idea is that those with means, listen, those with means in all three of these cases, you've got those that are employers, you've got those that are judges, and you've got those that are rich. And in all three cases, those are people with means. And God is saying, have compassion on those that don't have what you have. Have compassion on those who don't have what you have. And, and we could spend more time explaining this. I think you've got the idea um, here. But there's a mindset that God is giving to the children of Israel. You see, there are two categories in this, in this passage. There are two categories of people. There's the haves and the have-nots. There are those that, that have plenty and they've, they have means and they've been blessed. Then there are those that don't have. The haves and the have-nots. The masters and the judges and the rich, those are definitely the haves. But the servants and the orphans, the, the widows, the poor, the strangers, those are have-nots. And God is helping the haves to know what their attitude ought to be toward the have-nots. And God has always had a special place in his heart toward the have-nots. And I'm thankful for that. You know, many people will read the, the Bible and they'll, you know, they'll assume that God is a mean God. But when you read passages like this, then you can't come to any other conclusion except that God is a merciful God. God is a God of compassion. And to the have-nots, God has a heart for the have-nots. He views the poor with compassion. Every orphan matters to God. Every soul is important to God. I mean, consider the fact that, G that God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to this earth as a stranger. I mean, no place to lay his head. I mean, no place uh, during his ministry, no place to lay his head, and no place of his own when he died to even be buried. He was in a borrowed tomb. 
See, God loves the strangers and God cares for the down and out and he welcomes the beggars and we should be thankful for that because we may think we're in a different category, but we're not. We're all there. God loves the have-nots. What a wonderful God of mercy we serve. And his message through Moses, though, to, the, to his people right here, is that God's people ought to have that same mindset of compassion and mercy toward the have-nots. And he gives them a reason for it. And this may seem very basic, but it's something that I think we forget. And he gives them two, a reason. He gets, says it twice in this passage. Here's the reason you ought to have mercy on the have-nots. Look at verse 18. But thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt. And the Lord thy God redeemed thee thence. Therefore I command thee to do this thing. Verse 22, And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore I command thee to do this thing. You know what he was saying? He's saying, remember that you were once a slave. That things were once bad for you. That you used to be a have not. So he's saying, remember how hard it was in Egypt. Remember how hungry you were. Remember how, how poor you were. Remember how you lived hand to mouth. Remember how you were oppressed. Remember how miserable life was for you. And the Lord is saying, I know that now you're a have, but you used to be a have not, and you need to remember that. See, here's what the Lord is saying, is he's saying, have mercy on the have nots, because you used to be one too. And this is a recurring theme in the Old Testament. I and mean, over and over and over uh, in, in the Old Testament, God would tell the, the children of Israel, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers. You were strangers. You were bondmen. You were poor. You were down and out. You were miserable. See, remembrance was to help Israel treat the have-nots with mercy. And before we think that this only applies to the nation of Israel, I look around the room this morning, and boy, you sh you, I see a, my fair share of what I would call haves. Lots of haves in this room. And there's some have-nots too, but there's mostly haves. In every congregation, and I would say this is typical in the American New Testament church, you look around the room and, and on average, we've got halves, halves, halves. I won't look at my, I'm, this section's a little sketchy. Back there, halves, <laughs> halves. Yep, halves. I mean, we've got the suits and we've got the ties and, and we're dressed up and we looked apart. There's lots of halves in this room right now. We're halves. That's the category that we fit under. And, and I'm not saying there's something wrong with that. I'm not saying that, I mean, this is the, this is the place God has us living and this is the culture in which we live and, and it's okay. I mean, to be a have, it's okay. As long as you don't forget that you used to be a have not. That you used to be a bondman. That you were poor and you were down and out and you were miserable. And see, remembrance was a help to Israel to, to say, hey, treat the have-nots with mercy because you used to be there. And I don't even just mean money. I mean, although most Americans, I mean, if we look at the percentage compared to the rest of the world, we're considered wealthy. And you say, well, I don't make a whole lot of money, but compared to the rest of the world, 
Oh, no, but we're not just halves when it comes to money. I mean, we're halves in another way. We are halves spiritually. Meaning we've been blessed beyond what we deserve through the grace of God. And if you've been saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ this morning, then you are a spiritual have. And it doesn't matter how much you have in your bank account because you've got more in, in heaven in eternity compared to the rest of the world. I mean, you are a spiritual have and you've been blessed by God, but we haven't always been haves. And just like the children of Israel, there's value in remembering just how far God has brought us. Because we may be haves right now, but we, uh, we haven't always been. I mean, just recently, my wife and I in Sioux Falls, um, you know, Sioux Falls is cold. But there's, a, there's like a two-week window where you can be outside. It's great. Um, I call it Siberia in English, but, you know. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few months, obviously, where you can be outside, and, and Sioux Falls has a, a green belt, and, and, you know, this area around the river, the river kind of does a, almost a whole complete circle around throughout the city, and, and you can just get on that trail, the bike trail, and you never cross the street, you never have to stop, you can go for 20 plus miles and just go, it's great. My wife and I like to go down there and, and, and walk or run or jog or whatever we can do. And we were down there recently in like many large, not, it's not a large city, but like many cities in America, uh, in the homeless population is, is growing in Sioux Falls. So we were out on the trail and, and we came across this group and, and there was a guy and, and he was doing something you ought not be doing in public. And so I made some kind of a disparaging remark to my wife. I'm just being transparent with you. Made some kind of disparaging remark to my wife. And as soon as I said it, the Holy Spirit smote me. And I had to say, but I have to, I have to remember, honey, though, if not for the grace of God, there go I. If not for God's grace, I'd be in that guy's position. I'd be doing what he's doing, and, and, and people would be making comments about me. You see, listen, before Jesus Christ, we were miserable in our sin. We were in bondage. We had no hope of eternal life. We couldn't escape by working harder. We couldn't remove our burden on our own. But in just like God told Israel here, he says, the Lord thy God redeemed the events. It's not about me. I didn't make it happen. It's not about my power. It's not about my wisdom. I could have never earned freedom from my sin without, without help from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that redeemed me. He died on the cross to save me and he died in my place. So listen, we may be halves now, but it doesn't mean we're more special than the next guy. And it doesn't mean I deserve God's grace more than the person on the street. We are halves because we have a redeemer and his name is Jesus Christ. And like the song says, without him, we would be dying. Without him, we would be enslaved. Without him, life would be worthless. But through, praise God, through Jesus, we are saved. Listen, God forbid that we ever lose sight of what we were. And there are few attitudes worse than someone who receives great benefits but refuses to extend them to other people. 
And I think about this servant in Matthew 18 whose master forgave him of a large amount of debt and that servant turned around and he wouldn't forgive someone else of a debt that was much smaller than the one that he owed. And we see Jesus Christ, uh, his, his view of that kind of spirit is one of disgust. It's one of abhorrence. And he looked at that servant and he, he delivered him up to the tormentors. Listen, in the end, the servant was nothing more than a former have-not. Spiritually speaking, we're all just former have-nots. And we're enjoying a healthy dose of God's incredible grace. So God says, remember. But what difference does it make? I mean, well, okay, yeah, we remember, but what difference? Well, remembrance produces right thinking in, in a couple of ways, and I want to give you these. Number one, remembering what you used to be makes you aware of what you could be. Remembering what you used to be makes you aware of what you could be. See, God wants us to make a connection between what we were and, and, what, and where we would be without him. See, for many of us, the gap between what we are and what we used to be is massive. I mean, especially if you got saved later in life, then you can look at your life right now compared to what it was when you got saved and you say, there's a big difference. I mean, I think about 1 Corinthians 6 when Paul wrote uh, about fornicators and adulterers and, and the effeminate and abusers of themselves with mankind and the thieves and the covetous and the drunkards. And then he goes on and says, he says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Listen, we would do well to remember. When you stop and you remember it, 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 what you used to be, it reminds you of what you could be. It reminds you of where you would be. Think about the trajectory of your life when you met Jesus Christ. And some of us were raised in church and, and there's not a whole lot of, of bad stuff. A nine-year-old boy, I was saved as a nine-year-old kid. There's not a lot of bad stuff a nine-year-old kid could, could get himself into. But when I think about my life without Jesus Christ, because I know who I am, then it, may, man, it makes me think I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ stepped into my life, even as a child. But some of you were saved and you were older when you were saved and you saw what your life would become without Jesus Christ. And when you think about what you were and you think about what you used to be, it should make you thankful that you're not on that same path, on that same direction. I mean, think about where would you be without Jesus Christ in your life? I mean, where would you be? Uh, many of us, uh, we might be on the streets you might, be, you might be a drunk. You might be strung out. You, you might be bound by sin. And you might, be, you might be dead. When you stop and you think about where I would be had Jesus not intervened in my life, boy, it makes me think, I'm so thankful that he stepped in. Remembering what you used to be makes you aware of what you could be. But here's the second, the second thought. Remembering what you used to be will help you be what you ought to be. See, think about the effect that remembrance was to have on the children of Israel. See, he says, it's going to impact how you treat the have-nots. 
When you remember what you were, it changes how you deal with people. It would help them show mercy to the poor. It would motivate them to show compassion to the fatherless and the widows and the strangers. You see, in God's economy, the haves give to meet the needs of the have-nots. That's how God's plan works. And his disciples take the bread of life to those who, who, have, who are spiritually hungry. And listen, we have salvation in Jesus Christ. We have the truth of the gospel. And we've been tasked with the great commission to go into all the world. And before you think that you've got nothing to give, if you know Jesus Christ, there's a call on your life to engage in missions. And he may not call everyone to leave where you are and go somewhere and tell the, give the gospel. But I will submit to you this morning that, that there should, I, I imagine, I would say there's a lot more families and a lot more men and a lot more people sitting in churches just like Eastland Baptist Church that ought to struggle with that call. It used to be that, that God would call people out of churches all the time to go and take the gospel. And I'm thinking, you know, there aren't as many surrendering, but, you know, does, does that mean the need is less? No, I think probably it's more a reflection of our comfort level. We've grown accustomed to being haves. And we've forgotten that people like the Garcias and the Hendricks had to uproot their whole lives and they're leaving what they know. They're leaving the country they, I mean, the Hendricks are leaving a country they grew up in. To go to a different place and give the gospel? How about you? I mean, where, where are those that are surrendering to that call? Are we so used to being haves that we've lost our heart for the have-nots? See, I don't ever want to get to a place, and I say this at our church, we're East Side Baptist Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and, and yeah, I tell them all the time, I don't ever want to get to the place as a church that we think our job is to bankroll the ministry. Or we can just work and we can earn, but, you know, we'll just give and that's good enough. No, the Great Commission is feet on the ground. And so if God is calling you and God could use you in the ministry, then just be willing, like, like Josh saying, here am I, I will go. I know it doesn't make much sense. When you've been a half for a long time, you don't really imagine yourself giving up the things that you enjoy. And yet Jesus Christ was sitting at the right hand of his father. He was in a comfort zone. Yet he, he heard the call of his father. He answered it. And he left all of that to pack himself inside a human baby body. Because he looked at us and he says, they're worth it. And I just wonder if maybe there ought to be some more surrendering to say, yes, I would be willing to give up my have life to go reach some have-nots. Maybe we start not just in going somewhere across the ocean, but maybe just across the aisle at work. You know, maybe that's the reason that God's not calling more um, out of his churches is because we haven't submitted to the daily ministry to the have-nots. You know, we're around the lost all the time. And yet, when's the last time that you gave a presentation of the gospel to somebody that you encountered? See, we've gotten so used to being haves that we've forgotten that it is our responsibility to take the bread of life 
to the have-nots. The compassion is a product of remembrance. See, reflecting on what God has done for you will produce compassion for the have-nots. Those who remember where they came from will have no problem saying, I'll set aside a percentage of my paycheck to give toward missionaries to go to the have-nots. Because I remember. See, that's a small price to pay when you remember what you were. See, because you remember the difference between bondage and freedom. And you remember what it was like the day that your burden was lifted. And you were finally, when you finally discovered freedom in Jesus Christ and you were set free from sin. See, people that remember will be people of compassion. Because we'll say, uh, I remember. Remembrance is going to help you say that people at work need to hear about Jesus Christ. I know it's uncomfortable to talk to them, but it's not as uncomfortable as I used to be when I was in bondage. And I know that I, must, that I need to give, and, and that's inconvenient, but honestly, it's not as inconvenient as being in bondage. And I remember. And I'm going to remember. Friend, listen, do you remember? Some of us have been saved so long. I mean, I was saved as a nine-year-old, and I'm 44. I've been saved for 35 years. I mean, I, I have a tough time sometimes remembering. But as a nine-year-old kid, I was just as lost as that homeless man we saw on the side of the bike trail a few weeks ago. So God, help me remember. Help me remember the bondage to sin. Help me remember how miserable I was. Help me remember how hopeless I felt. Help me remember just just how bad it was and help me remember just how lost I was. God, just help me remember. Just stop and remember. See, if we truly remember, nothing can stop us from having compassion on the have-nots. It's not, it's not, see, when you remember, then it's not about money and it's not about time and it's not about fear because the more you remember, nothing can stop your compassion. See, so what is your level this morning? What is your level of compassion on the have-nots say about your gratitude for your own freedom? I would submit to you that those who don't engage in missions have forgotten the misery of bondage. And if you remember what you were, you'll have a heart for those that remain in that condition. See, missions comes naturally for people that remember. And it could be, I mean, it could be that you're just going through the motions for missions. I don't know about you, I started giving to Faith Promise Missions when I was a kid, probably before I got saved. My dad's a preacher. You know, so, so I was given, I don't even know, I don't know if I was, what I was making. I was probably stealing from my sister and putting it in the offering, you know. God will bless that. Amen. She had enough power. Sneak in her room and take a little bit back, you know. You know, I've been given to faith promise since I was a kid. 
I mean, I don't know how much I've given in my life to Faith Promise Missions, but I can tell you this, that there are some Sundays where I just write a check. And I don't really remember. And there are some days on Saturdays where I'll take a track and I'll put it on somebody's door and I'll walk away from their door and I'll give a track and I did my duty, but I didn't really remember. And there are times I've been through many missions conferences, many missions revivals in my life, and I've heard a lot of preaching on surrender. And I mean, yeah, here am I and I'll go. But, but plenty of times I go through those times and I don't really remember. I'm telling you, it'd give you a real heart for missions if rather than just say, God, what do I need to do to get involved, more involved in your program this year? You'd say, God, help me remember. Help me just to know and feel what it was like again somehow. Help me remember the bondage. Help me to remember the desperation and help me to remember how hard it was and how miserable I was. So missions is when we capture God's heart for the have-nots. It's not about, hey, I'll give a little bit more to faith promise. No, if you will capture God's heart for the have-nots, I'm telling you, your engagement in missions will go way up. Most of you recognize the name Harriet Tubman. She's known as Moses. Harriet Tubman helped free hundreds of slaves on the Underground Railroad, and she dedicated her life to help slaves find freedom. What do you suppose made her so passionate about setting slaves free? Was it hobby? Was it because she had, you know, she was getting fame and notoriety for it? No. No, Harriet Tubman had compassion on slaves because she remembered what it was like to be one. Harriet Tubman said, now I've been free. I know what a dreadful condition slavery is. Isn't that the case? Yeah, so you don't sometimes know how bad you, off you are until you find freedom. And you say, man, now I remember. I mean, now I know. I mean, Harriet Tubman said, now I'm free. Now I know what a horrible condition slavery is. I've seen hundreds of escaped slaves, she said, but I never saw one who was willing to go back and be one. You know, that, she dedicated her life to help people experience what she had. Remembering what she used to be reminded her of what she could be, and it made her what she ought to be. And I'm thankful for what she did for slavery, but I'm telling you, even greater is the cause of freeing those bound to sin. And there should be no people more passionate about freedom than those who've experienced it. What would happen to missions at Eastside Baptist, I was Eastland, I knew I was going to do that at least once. What would happen to missions at Eastland Baptist Church if every soul set free simply remembered? See, some things you wish you could forget, but some things you need to remember. And it's good for us to remember the misery of bondage to sin. Now listen, I'm not saying dwell on it, and some dwell on it too much. That's not what I'm talking about. But God said remember because it had a, help, a helping effect in their heart for other people. So listen, uh, some, we need to remember at times just how miserable the bondage of sin is. Especially when we're tempted to walk back into it. 
It's good for us to remember how long the nights of guilt were. And it's good for us to remember just how joyless life without Christ can be. And it's especially good for us to remember the day that Christ set us free. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and you don't know that if you died today that you'd be on your way to heaven, did you know that you don't have to go through some long process? You don't have to file paperwork to earn your freedom and you don't have to sneak out in the middle of the night and hide in some home in the middle of darkness uh, trying to escape to some other place where the land of the free is. No, Jesus Christ came already and did all the work for you and he died on the cross for you and if you will place your faith in Jesus Christ, repent of your sin and turn to him, he can save you this morning and you can walk out of this building a free man or free woman. Salvation is available to you. But for the rest of us who've maybe been saved for some time, it'd do us well to remember the day Christ set us free. Because our compassion for the lost is directly connected to our remembrance of the bondage. Those who forget, they stop giving. They stop going. And they stop telling. But those who remember gladly give of themselves so that others can enjoy the freedom they have in Jesus Christ. You know, it's good to be challenged to get involved in missions. But I would submit to you this morning that it might be better to be challenged to remember. Because if you'll remember, then you'll have compassion on the have-nots. And then it's not just about a program, it's about a heart. It's about you doing what you're doing for others because you have compassion on the have-nots. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten where you were? And this morning, do you need to just stop and thank the Lord and remember? And then from there say, okay, now, now that I remember, it's time for me to have compassion on those that need to hear about Jesus Christ.